Troy Hatton's going to come up. If you're new, you don't know Troy. This is my brother. He uh, is in charge of the Sunday school class over there. And if you uh, want to join that, talk to Troy. He is doing eternal work over there. Mm-hmm. All right, thank you. Oh, thanks, Trevor. All right. So good to be with you guys. I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, it's been a year and a half for those. For those that haven't been here in the last year and a half, year and a half ago, I had an opportunity and they asked me back. That's a good sign, isn't it? But I so appreciate our leadership who desires to shepherd and he desires to give us opportunities of growth in our spiritual walks. And for me, it's one of those opportunities to come before you, my church family, and be thankful for that opportunity. So a year and a half ago, I had the opportunity to share with you. Some may remember. Some don't want to remember. It was in the face of church conflict. It was hard. It was challenging. It was affirming of some, but not of all. Today, I'm faced with another conflict. Yours. James 4 is one of those heavy-hitting chapters. Last week, we got to hear from Jake, and Jake uh, really focused on one thing, didn't he? It was the tongue. What comes out of the tongue? The power of the tongue. What comes forth from the tongue? But what's the origin of what comes from the tongue? It's the heart. And it's the heart primarily where I get to go this morning. Now, uh, so I diligently, I diligently went through this scripture. It's supposed to be from James chapter 4, 1 through 12. I wrote a message and then felt compelled to go back and rewrite it. We're probably not going to get past verse 3 today. It's the way it goes. So, so I run into Ed last week. Because the last time I did this a year and a half ago, I said, Ed came to me and said, we need to sit and talk about this. We're talking church conflict here. And we better at least touch base, right? And so this time I went to him. Ed, you're not going to believe this. They're giving me chapter four of James. You know what it's about? Conflict, Ed says. Troy, Connie and I are leaving town. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently you guys didn't get the message because you're here. I need you to help me by opening up in prayer this morning, because it's a heavy-hitting chapter. I'm going to need your help. My role with you is not to be your pastor. It's not to be someone who has an authority. It's to come shoulder to shoulder with you as we face ourselves. And unfortunately, this morning, as I get to confront Scripture, i got to come face to face with myself. So you're going to hear a little bit about that. I hope it doesn't offend you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning and for a church family willing to listen. Lord, as I talk to pause this morning and and realize we have the blessing of a worship team who comes up and allows us to draw close to you, to give you praise, to give you worship, to be lifted up as holy and glorified, and then I get to come up to reveal the human heart through your word. Lord, I ask for your help in Christ's name. Amen. So, as we get started, I need to reflect back a few weeks ago as Michael Davis. You're going to find I'm trying to tie a few messages together, okay? A few weeks ago, Michael Davis came up, and he started with Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. And he had me come up, as you might remember. 
to pull that one out. And it went something like this. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates to divide soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. You might recall that Michael focused on the soul and spirit part. I get to focus on the judges, the thoughts, and attitudes of the heart, specifically your hearts. Would you enter in this morning with me in spirit and in truth? As we begin, I need to come clean with you. We're called to confess. This gets to be my podium of confession. I got issues. They're rooted deep. They've been problematic, disturbing, upsetting, gut-wrenching. I got dandelions. Can you relate? They're pain. You work hard to foster a weed-free lawn. I sit there and I watch in admiration my wife mow, fertilize, water, and bam, there they are. They spread and they take over the lawn. Their roots go deep. You pull them, you break them off, and they simply regrow to take root and to take over the lawn. And you know something about them? They tend to kill everything around them. You pull them out, and what's underneath them is dead grass. Let's turn to our verses, since I was supposed to already have read those, from James chapter 4, 1 through 12. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill. Now, qualifier here, Christ said what about the penalty or the conviction, the guilt we have even in our thought life? So kill doesn't necessarily mean physically kill in the Word of God. Apparently, it's what we harbor on the inside. And covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel, you fight, you do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you have on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? But he gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him 
speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver <coughs> and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Some of you know that I spent my uh, junior and senior years in John Day, Oregon. Hadn't been back there in 26 years. Shelly and I uh, went back here in the last month or so as we went to Idaho and came back through there. And, and uh, you know, John Day, kind of a lost city. Hasn't changed much. Changed the same population as when I left there almost 40 years ago. Same arid dry country, kind of some desert plains. You know, as I was reflecting on this lesson, uh, it kind of reminded me of the sower of, of uh, uh, the parable of the sower. But it made me realize something. Us John Dayers were kind of left out. You know, you know the parable. The, se the seed is sown. Some falls on the path. The birds come and they eat it up. Some of it falls on the rocky ground. It springs up, but quickly dies. Some of it, it falls in the thorns and it's choked out. Some of it falls on good soil. But in John Day, it's pretty dry. Christ didn't consider that one. There, plants come up a little lean. They're a little lanky. They're a bit scraggly. They can come up a whole lot ornery, and ta-da. <laughs> People like my wife have been paying the price ever since. Thirty-four years of marriage with interventions under my belt. Counseling, seeking wise friends, care groups, even the Michael and Donna Davis Marriage Renewal and Recommitment Small Group each to help deal with my dandelions. You know what they are. Some of you have them. Rooted deep, killing what was around me. Hard to get rid of. Maybe you can relate. Weeds like anger, bitterness, resentment, discontentment, unforgiveness, Dissatisfaction, thanklessness, this word, selfishness, self-centeredness, not keeping first things first, and at times, relational laziness. These sin issues have been the fuel for what has caused fights and quarrels. These sin issues have been the logs in my eye and barriers to relationships that Christ has called me to. How about you? Today's passage in James goes deep into these issues that cause conflict and divisions. It explores the sinful nature of our hearts and the impact on those around us, an impact in our relationship with God. It is one of the heaviest of heavy-hitting chapters in Scripture that points to the human heart. And people of faith, it's not a good look. 
But before we dive into the weeds of our lives on earth, I'd like you to turn your minds heavenward. In setting our minds and hearts on the truths of what God desires to give you, that which he calls good and perfect gifts. So I want to pull your minds back to the inspiration that came a few weeks back from Bruce Martin. He was here, I don't know, a month or so ago, five weeks ago. Do you remember? He told the story of a friend, an elder of a church of his that, that he, was, he had encountered. And this man was caught in the wrestling match with life. He was struggling with wealth, investments, CEOs, big corporate decisions, power, position, authority, you know, the world. He tried to reel him in. He asked this simple question. Remember what it was? Bruce asked him this question. Can you tell me two or three stories by which you were confronted with the goodness of God? His friend didn't have a response. He said, I'll get back to you. A few days later, he did. He called him. Remember what the response was? I've got nothing for you. Can I ask you, what was your response to that? How is that question being played out in your lives? Or were you just glad that he didn't ask you? I want to focus on this because I get to spend so much of my time here this morning on God revealing man's heart. It's not a pretty picture. I want to first focus on those things that he wants to equip us with his heart. Those things that he calls good and perfect gifts. Did you know that God is a giver of good gifts? The first one is pulled from Matthew 7:11. Matthew 7, 11. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Or then it's back to James 1.17. It says this, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. But what are those good gifts? What do they look like? What are they not? I think what you will find is what God gives as good and perfect gifts are not those things that the world tends to seek after or desire. So, here we go shoulder to shoulder. And may the word of God Judge your thoughts and attitudes. Let's consider these scripture where I believe God gives us evidence of these good and perfect gifts, what he wants to give us and which he wants us to yearn for. So we get to return to the book of James, exactly where Jake left off last week. Let's consider this from James chapter 3, 17 and 18. He calls this the wisdom of heaven. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure. It's pure. No ill intent, no double motive, no impurity. Then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, 
impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. From Galatians 5, it says this, but the fruit of the Spirit, even calls it the fruit of the Spirit, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. From 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 7, 7 through 12, calls this the gifts of the Spirit from our generous God, those good and perfect gifts. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge. To another, faith. To another, gifts of healing. To another, miraculous powers. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. To still another, the interpretation of tongues. I want you to look. Why are these gifts given? First sentence. For the common good. Funny thing about God's heart and why he instills these good and perfect gifts, which you'll notice are not things and stuff, but they're attributes for the common good of building each other up. 1 Timothy 6, 11. Call this the charge. But you, man of God, free, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. The things that are written on God's heart that he wants us to desire. Okay. There's the focus on God's heart. Now we get to turn the page to the dark side. James, chapter 4, 1 through 3 says this, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you have on your own pleasures. Let's do a little unpacking. Your desires, what you covet, those things you intensely want, those things that fill your sails, those things that turn your crank, those things that you think satisfy your being, or at least satisfy the moment. Those things that tantalize the senses and fulfill the passions, those things that entertain your being, that give you a sense of power, position, exclusivity, rank, pride, and advantage. These are your dandelions. And those things that are rooted into our lives have the tendency to become idols. And idols 
Those things that take primary importance and replace God in our lives. And people, people of faith, God won't have it. You know, I'm amazed how easily those idols creep into our lives. How easily we fall off the cart. Forget what should be priority. Become misordered priorities. And we wander away. But we're in good company. Why don't you consider the Israels, the Israelites. Here they were, a people that were enslaved for 400 years. And God, through his saving grace, delivered them. Not just once, but several times through that time. And can you imagine a people who should be more dependent on him through what they endured? He gave them a a cloud and a pillar to, to guide them along the way in this desert land. And how could they not depend on him? Wandering in the desert, eating dust, living in the rough, dwelling in tents, covering the miles, nomadic, baked by the sun. Yet check out this verse from Hosea. The minor prophet Hosea says this. Think about this. When I fed them, they were satisfied. When they were satisfied, they became proud. Then they left me. Think about that. God's chosen people, and all it took was some manna and fowl. And satisfaction of the moment leads them to draw the conclusion they don't need God. So, what about you? Compare your haves, what you have compared to the Israelites. Are your bellies full? Did you have the, last, the latest uh, clothes on your backs? Did you arrive to church in your chariots? Did you come from your palaces? Do you have your stocks intact? may not want to look right now. Are your cell phones charged and ready? Are you well entertained through an adequate internet provider? Are you satisfied? Have you left him? May the word of God judge the thoughts and the attitudes of your hearts. In consideration of these questions and the disposition of your hearts, I want you to consider these warnings from Scripture. 1 John 2, 15-17 says this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, I want you to know something. I memorized this verse years ago with my guys group. And I don't know why, but I always thought, if we love the world, the Father doesn't love us. Is that what it says? It says right there, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I needed to turn it 180 degrees. Because... What did, what did God do when he sent his son? For God so loved the world before we were saved, he sent his son. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's not about God not loving us. God says this, if we're so wrapped up in the things and stuff of this world, he says clearly, pointedly, we don't love him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, things and stuff, the lust of his eyes those things 
that we have the sensual desires for, the boasting of what he has and does, what happens when we so love those things? We talk about them. We talk about ourselves. We build ourselves up because of those things that make us feel like we want to feel. The boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires will pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. From 1 Timothy 6, 6 6-10 says this, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Food and clothing will be content. Yeah? People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. What perspective for life from Scripture? Now, what about the example of Christ? I mean, here's, here's a ministry in which he chose 12 guys, 12 men, non-scholarly, mostly blue-collar guys, fishermen, a tax collector, a zealot, marching up and down the Judean, the Samaritan countryside. Can you picture some of their conflicts, their discussions, and them with the righteous example of Jesus right in front of them? Can you imagine? I mean, you know some of the stories, arguing over who of them was the greatest. And by the way, Jesus, can I sit at your right hand in the kingdom? Scripture gives evidence of long days, many needs, persisting, clamoring people who are pressing in, and the resultant exhaustion of his disciples and of Jesus himself. Consider some of these conflicts. They may have looked like this. What about you? What do you mean? Has it been difficult for you all this time? The occupation, following Jewish law. My life has not been easy. Oh, it hasn't. What was more painful for you? Escaping Roman persecution by working for them or escaping your guilt with all the money? And now you're catching up on Torah and wanting to follow the law. Why now all of a sudden? Why not all the other times you had the chance? Simon? No, no, John, I want to know. Mary had horrible trauma. She didn't choose all that happened to her. What's your excuse? What do you want me to say? I don't know what you want from me. An apology. What? Simon's not wrong. It could be more delicate about it, but you did choose to work for them. And you made my life even harder than it already was. And you haven't apologized. 
No, no, don't say it. I don't want you to apologize. It doesn't matter. What would hear him say sorry do? I won't forgive it anyway. What keeps putting you in authority? Who are you to forgive or not to forgive? What, you're on his side? No, of course not, but you've had your problems too. What about apologizing for what you almost did to us with the Romans? I didn't go through with it. I was trying to save my family's life, and I love you, John, but that's not something you have to worry about when Zeb and Salome are looking out for you. But you put me in a desperate position where I did things I would never have done otherwise. And I've repented for them, and John and James, I am sorry, but I didn't go through with it. What is your excuse? I was a successful businessman, and yet I was always behind. He wasn't your tax collector. You quit defending him. I want an answer. Hey, you're new. Do you even know what it's like to be Jewish? To suffer for centuries and centuries because of it, but to still commit to it? To protect our heritage even though it never stops being painful? Because the one comfort we have is to know that we're doing it together. That we're all suffering together. But if, if we just wait a little longer, if we hold tight just a little more, we'll have rescue because we're chosen, all of us. And you betrayed that and you spit on it. I can't forgive it. I'll never forgive it. All right. You said what you needed to say. Sit down, Simon. You sit down first.
to my eyes and slumber to my eyelids. May it be your will, Lord my God, and God of my ancestors, that I lie down in peace and that I arise in peace. I really shouldn't have played that. It wrecks me every time. In, ca- in case you guys didn't guess, the guy that came out of the dark, good night, that, that, was, that was Jesus. The other guys, of course, as you saw, the, being the disciples. I watched that scene many times. It makes me realize the love of Christ and the hardness of my heart, especially in conflict. I'm like the disciples judgmental, unforgiving, holding tightly to the logs that are in my own eyes. Reminds me of uh, two things. Because you have the view of man and the view of God. One of them is from the Old Testament book of Isaiah. When Isaiah finds himself getting a vision of heaven. Remember the song sees the holiness and the glory of God and the robe, the, the train of his robe that fills, fills the courts. And he's in awe. And what it says in that scripture is, he's undone. He's undone because he realizes who he is and who God is. And, and power and in glory and in authority that he has. And then in this, the gentleness and lowliness of Christ. A totally different picture. Jesus, truly God, and yet still reveals man and reveals God. What a picture. I'm so prone to forgetting the price that Jesus paid for my sin and your sin. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, reveal ourselves. Would you give us the humility to understand and to accept who we are before you? What you call us to. Help us to desire those attributes and things, Lord God, that are your good and perfect gifts. Thank you for the truth of your word. Help us dwell on us. Help us understand it. Help us respond. In Christ's name, amen.